To get this whole thing kicked off, we'll have coverage all day. We'll have ACC reports throughout the afternoon and evening. We'll have guests coming in from noon to 2 here courtside at the Barclays Center. And we'll get you ready for SU and Georgia and Wake Forest tonight in Brooklyn. Look, the Orange need a win here. The Orange need to win a game, maybe two, to get into the NCAA tournament. We'll talk all about that coming up. But I do want to start with... Well, the game tonight, because that's the most obvious part that we have to get to. Stephen Fonte will join me from the road. He's driving down from Syracuse. He'll join us in about 15 minutes or so. Jerry McNamara later in the program as well and more. But to get to tonight, we've seen this matchup twice, right? We've seen two close games out of Syracuse and Wake Forest. Two games that I think uh, were a little bit closer than any Syracuse fan would have hoped. And one of them, that Wake Forest pulled out the win. Pretty surprising, uh, honestly, for a team that went 4-14 and 14 in ACC play. You would think that Syracuse, you would think that a program, you know, that, that had eight wins in conference that is on the tournament bubble would have been able to handle Wake Forest a little bit better over the course of this year. But for whatever the reason was, this Demon Deacons team provided a lot of issues for SU over the course of two games. They were hot from three-point land in both of the games against the Orange. They uh, they really got out and shot the three well and didn't necessarily shoot it from feet on the line, right? They weren't necessarily towing the line when they shot these three-pointers. They were deep, they were off the three-point arc, and it led to a comeback in game one that Wake Forest ultimately won, and it led to a comeback in game two that was thwarted and stopped short and really Syracuse did their job their their work in that game early and got out to a big enough lead that it didn't truly matter that they gave up a couple of threes right it didn't put them in imminent danger it didn't really kill them in that game because they had gotten out of head of Wake Forest and I'm curious why this is a bad matchup, why this matchup has been so close twice, and I would imagine tonight a third time. And I'm not totally sure. It's obviously that three-point shooting where they shot better than 50%, almost 60% from three in the first game and better than 40% from three in the second game up in the Dome. And I think a really big key as well for Wake Forest in these games against Syracuse has been their center play and their inside play. And you look at the way that Syracuse plays and you look at how, yeah, they do have some inside height as a, a ball just ricocheted and nearly, nearly hit somebody in the, first, in the first row. We got a nice catch here by Joe on, uh, on press row. But they're, they're, they've got height. They've got a big man who, who caused problems for Syracuse and Doral Moore. And you look at what he did over the course of two games. In the first game, eight and nine, okay, so-so, nothing crazy. In the second game, he went 16 and 16 and ate Pascal Chukwu and Barama Sidibe and Marek Dolajai up inside that zone and in the middle there. So I think that that really caused problems for Syracuse. And then it led to some of the three-point shooting later in the game. It led to some of the 
uh, three-pointers going down for Wake Forest where he was able to, you know, maybe draw the defense in a little bit. SU's going to have to defend the three, plain and simple. And if you allow Doral Moore to get his, you know, maybe you take that at this point. And I think that you might if you're SU. You might take that. You might take twos over threes if you're Syracuse at this point because obvious math, right? And Wake Forest this year has killed Syracuse with the three-point shooting. And really, let's face it, that has been a weakness for this Syracuse team all year long. Saw Kevin Herter, we saw Devontae Graham, saw the Wake Forest guys in that first meeting, Mitchell Wilbekin, Bryant Crawford in that second meeting, did it to them as well. Kai Bowman, Jero Robinson got them for Boston College. Three-point shooting has been a problem for Syracuse, and defending the three-point line has been a problem for Syracuse for much of this season. So if Wake can do that again tonight, they might put themselves in a good position against the Orange. Now, we know what the keys are for SU, right? It's very obvious what the keys are for SU as far as a key to win tonight, a key to beat Boston College. They've just got to... They've just got to go out there and play their game. They need Marek Dolajai. They need Tyus Battle. They need Frank Howard. They need O'Shea Brissett. They need Pascal Chukwu. They need everybody to have an impact on this game. They can't get by with three, right? Like, we know that. We knew that already. They cannot get by with three. And I think that the Boston College game a week, a week or so ago was a really good indicator of that. In that game, Syracuse quite literally had three through the first half. And they were great. Frank Howard was great. O'Shea Brissett was great. Tyus Battle was great in the first half of that game, and it still wasn't enough. They were still down three points at the break. So Syracuse is going to need some help from the rest of the team. We saw that on Saturday. Marek Dolajai got nine, ten points. It makes all the difference in the world. He was aggressive at the beginning. Pascal Chuku contributed a bucket. Whatever it is, Syracuse needs the other four players on this team to be involved, needs the other four players on this team to give them something. And if they can get that tonight, I think they'll be able to get a win against Wake Forest. You know, we're sitting here now. It's not a really big crowd. It's Tuesday. It's noon. It is what it is. It's going to be 7 o'clock at night. It's a night game. It's like any other basketball game you've ever gone to. I think that there could be a decent crowd given that Syracuse is playing the night game. Right? There might be a lot of Syracuse fans here tonight. This might turn into a home court advantage the way it didn't last year because they were playing at 2 o'clock on a Wednesday afternoon. They're in the night session, and I think Syracuse is going to really have an advantage there after getting out of this day session. They could have been playing right now. Instead, they're playing later tonight, and uh, it, it'll lead to, I think, a better crowd and a more pro-Syracuse crowd than it would have had they been playing in this game right now just by nature of people can go to that game seven hours from now. So I think they'll be able to feed off the crowd a little bit. But they need to get something, something out of those others, right? They've got to get something out of Marek Dolajai, out of Pascal Chukwu. Because if they don't, it's really hard to beat a team playing three on five. We saw it. There aren't very many teams you can beat three on five. Syracuse has tried. They really have. But you can't do it. You can't go beat Georgia Tech. You can't go beat Wake Forest in their own building. You can't go beat Boston College. 
you're not going to win those games playing three on five the way Syracuse has much of this season. And I think we've seen that. We've kind of learned that over the course of this year, right? Three just isn't enough, especially on the offensive end. It just isn't enough for Syracuse to really be in games. And so on Saturday, even though the offense was terrible, right, even though the offense was bad, even though the offense didn't do much of anything, because they got contributions from everybody else, from Dolezal most notably, because they got that contribution, they were able to win that game. Because their defense was fantastic against a very good offensive Clemson team, they were able to win that game. But it took everything. It took 45 points from your three leading scorers. And then it took 11 points from everybody else. You weren't going to win that game only with the three leading scorers. And I think that's a lot, uh, much the same as what's going to happen tonight. You're not going to win this game with just your three leading scorers. Like, you're just not going to do it. So Syracuse has to find a way to get Marek Dolezal involved, to get Pascal Chukwu involved, to get them easy looks. Marek's got to come in and, and, and be aggressive the way he was on Saturday afternoon and be looking for his shot, hunting down his shot. Because it totally changes the flow of this offense. It totally changes what this offense looks like if they get something out of any of the other four players. So yeah, Syracuse has to play defense. We know that. Syracuse has to defend the three-point ball better against this Wake Forest team. We know that, right? They've got to keep Mitchell Wilbekin off the three-point line. They've got to push Bryant Crawford off the three-point line. They can't have Wake Forest shooting 40, 45, 50, 55, 60% from three like they did last time. The two meetings over the course of this year. But at the same time, if they get a little bit more offense in that first game, they're not doing too poorly. They might win that game. The problem in the two Wake Forest games this year has been defense, right? It has not been the offense. The offense has done enough to win both games. Clearly they did in the second game where they did win. And I think that Syracuse's offense did enough to win that first Wake Forest game as well. The problem for Syracuse against Wake Forest this year has been defense and specifically three point defense. They've got to find a way to hold that in check. They've got to find a way to hold Mitchell Wilbekin in check, to cover that back corner, to, to do anything to keep the threes from flying and keeping open three-point looks from flying towards the basket because that's what kills the orange, and they've had that Achilles heel all year long. NC State, Wake Forest, Wake Forest again, uh, Miami, uh, playing in Miami, I should say, against Kansas. Playing the Maryland game. Every game, it feels like, there has been problems guarding the three. And Syracuse really needs to tighten that up tonight if they're going to win. That's ultimately what it comes down to. Guard the three-point ball. Get some offensive contributions from somebody other than Frank Howard, Tyus Battle, O'Shea Brissett. You do those two things, I think you're in great position. First game this year against Wake Forest, Pascal Chukwu went 10-5. and five. He does that again, you're looking good, right? I, I mean, if he does that again, you're looking good and you're feeling good about where the team is. 
or you feel good about your chances at the very least. Syracuse needs those kinds of contributions. I think tonight's game is actually going to be really good. I think it's going to be a back-and-forth game. The first game uh, decided by six. The second game decided by just eight points. I think these games are going to be close. We've seen these two teams play now twice already. They've got a knack for playing close games for whatever the reason is. And I think that we're going to get another very close game tonight. Why don't we take our time out? We will get to Steve Infante on the other side. ACC, live at the ACC, brought to you by IBE, IBEW, Nika, and Burdick Lexus. We're back after this on ESPN Radio. Our take on the day's top stories. It's today's business on Orange Nation. All right, we're doing this half from Brooklyn and half from Syracuse, New York. Seth Goldberg with you at Barclays Center. Max Brigandi back in our ESPN Syracuse studios. we got plenty more coming up for you from the ACC tournament and from Brooklyn, New York. We'll dive into some more bracketology stuff as the show progresses. We are here until 2 o'clock. All right, Max, what do you have on tap for me? Well, you just heard my update that uh, Steve Kerr's got an interesting thought on the uh, draft process that uh, student-athletes should be allowed to return to their universities even if they sign with an agent. He thinks it's in their best interest if they go unpicked and they declare for the draft. How do you, what do you think about that? Well, it's absolutely it's absolutely in, in their best interest uh, to allow kids who go undrafted to come back to school. Uh, will this happen? No. I would be shocked if this happened. Uh, I, I just I don't see this. Um, you don't want to get agents involved in the game, and if kids sign with agents, they're not going to want them back in college basketball. Um, Are they doing enough by allowing them to attend the cow combine without signing an agent? Like I think... I think that what they are doing now is a lot better than what they used to do. Um, like, no doubt in my mind, uh, it's better now than what it used to be, right? I mean, at least now they let them go to the combine, they let them go on visits, and then you're able to make up your mind and come back. Uh, with that being said, yeah, I think it would be awesome if kids who go undrafted are allowed to come back to school. Like, I think it just makes a lot of sense. Um, there's no reason not to. I mean, baseball, they let guys get drafted and come back and play as drafted players who are property, quote-unquote, of, an, of a major league team. Uh, why not allow that in basketball? They allow it in hockey. They allow it in baseball. Um, that's my thing. I don't understand why the rules are different for different sports. Uh, it makes no sense to me, and I know this. The NCAA doesn't make any sense, uh, but that one really doesn't make sense to me. The rules are very different for the different sports regarding amateurism and regarding agents and regarding you know when you're eligible. So I think that this would make sense for the NCAA for basketball. If you get undrafted, okay. Go back. If you get drafted and you think you were drafted too low, okay, you can go back. Uh, you know, I, I don't love that as much, but the undrafted kids absolutely should be allowed back. Yeah, I, I like. Uh, I would like to see them adopt a model similar to what baseball does in college, where you can get drafted a couple times, see if you're really ready, uh, if you want to leave or stay and get your degree just in case. Um, yeah, it's exactly. just tricky. If they do change the one and done rule, I think it would be tricky with like what happens with kids going from high school, especially like if they don't like where they think they're going to land and they already signed an agent, then they pretty much have they have no shot at a college career. Absolutely zero. No, they don't. And I think that's especially where it gets tricky um, when you deal with something like this. But it's absolutely in the player's best interest to be able to return to their university. I understand what the NCAA is dealing with, with amateurism if you sign with an agent and accept the money, but 
I mean, I think, I think all in all, they should be allowed to return to the university. Absolutely, 100%. Yeah, it makes too much sense for them to not be allowed to at least try and go back to school. Yeah, but that's the NCAA. It, it, things that make too much sense don't end up don't happening. Happen. Yeah, I know. I know. So that's just what happens. Um, let's get to some baseball news. Did you hear about these bullpen carts that the MLB is bringing I back? Did. Specifically I the Diamondbacks. Uh, haven't been used since 1995. Essentially, it's like a golf cart with a big hat on it that would yes. bring the pitchers in from the bullpen. I know they utilize these in Japan, and it's absolutely electric. I mean, the fans go wild when they see these things come out. And the one I'm looking at for the Diamondbacks just looks extremely goofy but awesome at the same time i mean they're doing this to uh, like speed up the game and i mean possibly make no, some money no, off no, sponsors no, no. that's no, the thanks. reasoning behind it but let's this just has be nothing honest to do with speeding up the game let's this be honest with what this is this is just ploy an entertainment ploy and sponsorships yes. Entertainment and it's money because you could throw a logo on the side of the big baseball golf cart or on the. Oh, hat. absolutely. Uh, This—that's all this is. This is not speeding up the game because ultimately it takes just as much time, if not more, because you're going to have to drive the guy in and then you have to drive the cart all the way back out and then you—it's it, going to take a lot of time to do this. Uh, so there's a reason why these things went away at some point. I love them. They're stupid. They're funny. Um, but again, there's a reason they went away 20 plus years ago because at some point, like the 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 nostalgia and the and the and the fun wore off, right? Uh, it's gonna be like a nostalgia play. It's like what old, what's old is new. What's new is is uh, no good. Like I want I want the stuff from the 70s and 80s. I want bullpen carts. Give yeah. me more bullpen. No, carts. absolutely. And I think that's what we're seeing. Yeah, I I'm a big fan of these. They're goofy. They're funny. Um, it just adds a whole other entertainment aspect. I think when you see your closer getting out of a golf cart essentially next to the pitcher's mound and yes, they just look really hilarious. goofy and like you said it's a nice it could be a good opportunity for sponsorships to come in i know the diamondbacks one already was loaded with sponsorships in that picture i just saw from uh, some bank oh, or something of course it is but no i'm a big fan of these returning i agree i don't think it's necessarily going to speed up the game i no. think that was just an excuse to kind of cover up what the real meaning of these things are actually going to be used for and it's just extra money which is fine, but I'm all for it. Bring them back, and yeah, that's all it is. They look it's, awesome. It's a money grab. Yeah, they look. I have awesome. no issue with it, but that's what it is. No, absolutely not. But don't say it's going to speed up the game because no, it's not, it's not it's going to speed up the game <laughs> at, not all. at all. Uh, NFL referee Ed Hockley's retiring uh, announced it this morning, ending a colorful career that made him one of the most recognized game officials in American sports. Known for his long-winded explanation and exposed biceps, Hockley looked like he could literally play linebacker as a referee. Um, kind of cool his son's being promoted to replace him, but Ed Hockley... There has to be... Mac, there has to be a Hockley on, on command at all times, I think. Oh, absolutely. I think, that is a, I think that's an NFL rule. Uh, so one leaves, the other one gets uh, gets an invite to be an a NFL ref, head referee. Um, I like this tweet from uh, Pro Football Talk. I will be I will officially be ceasing my part-time employment as a referee of football games for the National Football League due to advancing age and or a, a desire to engage in other activities during the remaining months and years of my existence on this planet known as Earth. So. My question is, is Ed Hockley's son as jacked as his father? I think like, he is. Is he? I think he just, is. just runs yes. in the family? Well, I, I guess the work ethic does. <laughs> Apparently it does. <laughs> I mean, That's not something you're just born with, Max. No, he's one of the most identifiable referees in all of sports, I think, just solely imagine? because of those biceps. 
by the way, he is uh he's only a part-time official. He he was the whole way. And he he was also like a lawyer. Could you imagine walking into a courtroom and and he's sitting at like the other table? No, I'd be absolutely mortified. I would be so confused. I wouldn't know what to do. No, I'm I'm good on that. Absolutely but good that on that. But that does explain. You know that does explain where the long uh, explanations come from. Yes, he was always very detailed. He was always very detailed and very thorough. Very. And that would make sense given that he was a lawyer. Yeah. So, happy trails to Ed Hockley. Uh, let's get into the little franchise tags that have been going around the NFL lately. Le'Veon Bell. Steelers announced that he would be franchise tag. They're gonna earn fourteen and a half million. Uh, the Jags informed Allen Robinson today that they will not use the franchise tag on him. Is he a hot commodity around the league, you think, or do you think people are going to let him pass up? Um, I think he'll be a hot commodity because he's probably the best receiver on the market, isn't he? I mean, yeah. it's like him and Sammy Watkins. So Coming off yeah, a torn ACL, though, in 2014, he had 202, or he has 202 catches for 2,800 yards and 22 touchdowns in 43 games. So he's definitely a talent. But. Yes, he's incredibly talented. He's a really good wide receiver. And I think that uh, coming off the injury, maybe there's a little bit less uh, interest. But he's he's far and away, I think, the best receiver on the market this year. Um, he'll get money. He'll get paid. Well, yeah, uh, and yesterday yesterday it also came out that five teams have been talking to the Dolphins about Jarvis Landry, and they were expected right. to franchise tag him. So that's interesting, too, if he's on the move. Um, I mean, the league's really going to look different, as it does every year, but... Seems like a lot of big name players could be on the move, you know, right before the draft. I mean, like every year. But Allen right. Robinson, well, Jarvis Landry, Le'Veon Bell's not going anywhere. Said he wanted to be a Steeler for life. Chris Ivory just went to the Bills today. So well, see, Max. Max, here's what I would say though about the receiver stuff, and and I find it interesting. But receiver movement, like, does it really matter? No, I you know, don't like, think at so. At the end of the day, like, does receiver movement really matter? Because here's here's what I mean by that. Uh, these quarterbacks are all so good, right? You know, even the worst ones are still pretty good. And they're all throwing for so many yards. Like, does it matter which receivers they're throwing to? If you flipped out Odell Beckham Jr. for Allen Robinson, is Eli Manning putting up the same numbers? Like, probably, right? You know, Odell Beckham Jr. is phenomenal. But, like, the quarterbacks are probably going to put up the same numbers. So if you put Allen Robinson on the Jets, right, like instead of their top target, how much of a difference does it really make? It matters so much more who the guy is throwing the ball to them. Yeah, I I would agree with that, but it, I mean a good receiver can take some coverage away, can add to a little bit of a distraction yes. for other parts of your offense to you know execute more right, but efficiently. Being, but right, but my I point yeah, being, I get what you're saying. You're you gonna, know, you know the the best offenses in the league are going to gain what six seven thousand yards, regardless of who's throwing the ball and, and who's running the ball. Right, right. And so I like mean, you can plug and play guys. You know, as as the the games and season wear, wears on, and I think that that's what we see in the off season. Oh, okay, is Jarvis Landry an upgrade over what we've got? Okay, how much better? How much of an upgrade is he? How much is it worth? Like, is it worth it to give up multiple picks because he'll make an impact and make it better for uh, Tariq Cohen? You know, is is, is that going to help us? And and if the answer is yes, then you go do it. Um, you know, last year obviously the Bears didn't think that uh, that Alshon Jeffrey was worth it. They let him walk. You know, the the Jaguars don't think that Allen Robinson's work it worth it. They let him walk. Like it, it's. But I think it's a very interesting question to ask of like how much does it really matter versus how much does the quarterback matter? Yeah, and receivers are such a disposable you know position. You can always draft a good receiver, and you never really know who's going to be good and who's not. You know, like look at Antonio Brown, late round pick, and then. Obviously, Odell Beckham Jr. first round pick, but they're the same production. You know, you can you never right. know what you're gonna find in the draft at any given 
pick or in any given round when it comes to receivers especially, I feel like. Right, and Max, that's why I said what I said at the end of the first hour of I know Saquon Barkley is the hot name, and I know Saquon Barkley is a freak of nature, and I know that he's you know making everybody really excited, but um, if I'm picking between him and a quarterback, I'm going quarterback every time. Yeah, I would agree with every that. Every time. There's too many good running backs in this league, I mean, that are, can be serviceable behind in the right system. You know, it's all about right. fits when it comes to running backs, and you don't want to draft a guy, I would say, Zeke was kind of a no-brainer when the Cowboys were picking him because they knew he was going to be such a great fit behind that well, offensive because, line. Right, that's what I was going to say. Because they had the offensive line in place right. already, it made exactly. a lot of sense. Just like that trade for Jay Ajayi that the Eagles made made a lot of sense with the offensive exactly. line they were working with. So let's get to one more before we get out of here. Uh, I don't know if you saw this headline yesterday, but Memphis head coach Tubby Smith expressed his displeasure Sunday with the high number of players transferring in college basketball telling reporters that the practice teaches athletes to quit. Memphis obviously hit particularly hard by transfers last season. Six players left Tubby Smith's team on Sunday. He uh, expressed his displeasure with the new rule that's being considered where they don't have to sit out a year. What do you think of this? You know, I I hate this notion that, like, transferring makes you a quitter. Um, it, it's weird to me. It, it's, it's uh, I don't know, I don't, I don't like it. Um and if Tubby Smith hadn't had three jobs in the last four years, maybe I would take him a little bit more seriously when he says this. Um, but, like, I, I, don't, I, I don't get this. I don't get why coaches, and, and I think this is even more so uh, with older coaches, as Tubby Smith is, um, I don't understand why coaches feel the need to do this. I don't understand why they feel the need to call out this transfer epidemic. I, I mean, you were a coach, and, you know, he, Tubby Smith has been coaching a long time. Uh, he gets the game by now. Um, he can leave Texas Tech and take the Memphis job. He can get, you know, or get fired at Texas Tech. He has to take the Memphis job. He's jumped around to enough jobs recently that I, I don't understand how he's saying that. Um, and I think that there is a real big double standard between the coaches and the players where, uh, you know, a coach can leave a job and, and, you know, that job came open because of uh, Josh Passner leaving. I'm looking across. I see Josh Passner standing on the Georgia Tech sidelines. He can leave the Memphis job and go take the Georgia Tech job, but a player can't leave Memphis and go to Georgia Tech. Like, I, I don't get it. I completely leave agree. Their jobs are quitting on them, too. Yeah, I completely if you, agree. If you want to use that logic. I agree. You just nailed that one right on the head. That was today's business brought to you by Grossman St. Amore CPAs, located in downtown Syracuse. Grossman St. Amore CPAs provides businesses and individuals with tax planning and tax preparation services and strategies to help minimize your tax liabilities. Learn more about how Grossman St. Amore CPAs can optimize the financial opportunities for your business online at gsacpas.com. You know, I'm glad that you went and, and got the binder. It was like a telepathy here because I was sitting here while I was answering that last question. I was like, ooh, Max is going to have to get that binder. I made a mad uh, dash and, as and soon as we read. went on the air. I, I almost <laughs> forgot it, but it, it, I, I, I was more concerned about finding the correct page because there's a bunch of nonsense oh, yeah. in here, too, mixed there's in. There's a lot so. of old stuff in there, too. All yeah. right. But in uh, Stephen Fonte's take... words, I'm a true professional, and I nailed it. So There we go. Let's take a break. We're back after this with more Orange Nation live from Barclays Center.